What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to, yes, another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Potvin, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Joey Tomaselli. Joey is the author of the book, Push Forward, which is a story based on his real life dealing with OCD, addiction, anxiety, depression, and phobias. Joey was so much fun to talk to, and I want to thank him again for coming on and having this discussion with me. Now, you guys all know the drill at this point. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform. Share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I don't know if you can tell by my cheeks right now, but I have been enjoying this weather so much up in Canada. So I hope if you're listening, you're getting beautiful weather as well, and I hope you're taking full advantage of it. I'll talk to you all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. live thank you so much for joining me today man oh thank you for having me so before we get uh too deep into anything i wanted to get to know you a little bit better so okay. where did um where did your journey with mental health kind of start i think it for me it started as uh probably in grade one i remember having anxiety for simple things and, and at that time in my life it wasn't simple it's just doing a journal and my teacher like go home write a journal and i would stare at that paper and as simple as that may have been or someone like yourself, or I, I struggled and I had such bad anxiety. So I would say it started at six and then uh, 13 years old, I developed a bad, bad case of OCD. Like it was just overwhelmed me. And thank God I had soccer where I got a little bit of a release from it, but that's when it got really bad. It was at 13, 14. Then I discovered weed and then I self-medicated myself with weed and then as it prolonged going forward, I started doing more drugs. But even though I was at a high level of soccer, it's like I needed that those drugs to help me cope with my bad OCD. And then just to, it, pretty much for 14 years, it went away because I was smoking every day and doing drugs. And uh, about 28 years old, I had an episode where I just had a bad panic attack. And I went on a four-year journey that I don't wish on my worst enemy much it was uh, it was a terrible time in my life but i did a book obviously called P push forward about it because i want to uh spread the message that there is hope and you just everyone's different right you're different from me so i'm not here to say i'm a doctor you need to take medication mm -hmm. all i'm telling the world is this is my story we all have our story but this works for me and it's up to you at the end of the day what you think is right for yourself yeah, exactly. I, I like to say that a lot too, because like people who listen, I'm like, listen, I'm not a professional Me neither. by any any capacity. No chance. Yeah, you just you've I, gone through it. I barely got out of high school, so for me, it was like this is just <laughs> my story. And at the end of the day, I did it for like thank God I had a great family support, and I, mm -hmm. I it's almost I feel bad saying I'm doing this for people that don't have that, that are by mm -hmm. themselves and they they don't have anywhere to turn, you know, and. Uh, I, like I said, I said so many times, I promised myself if I ever got better, I'm going to do something to give back. And this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat, uh, in that respect where I had a great family. I had a great friend, you know, system, uh, things just weren't working up, uh, up here, you know, uh, I just can't explain it. Yeah. It's, it's hard too. And I'm sure you get this where like 
you know, you have these things going for you. Like you had soccer, I had swimming, uh, yeah. like uh, you had a good family. Like I was doing decent in school. Not great. Like once I got to uni, it was kind of questionable, but, yeah. um, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, you know, you have everything. So why oh, you, you can't feel like that to other people. You look like, Oh, what's wrong with you? And again, coming from an old school Italian, my father, hard worker i love him to death but like he didn't understand what ocd mm. was what do you mean you need to wash your hands he was a mechanic he came home dirty he didn't understand like why was i always cleaning and cleaning and he couldn't put it together and i never blamed him for that because he he grew up in a different time where that that, that just that never happened so it's so true what you're saying it's uh that's why on uh, the cover of my book i made it very clear how i wanted it was Half of my face is sad. Half of my face is happy because you never know when looking at someone, whether they have money or not, what they're going through on the inside. And uh, mm. that's, that's, that's the message I wanted to put out there. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. It's uh, it, it's so easy to judge people or kind of put Very. like, or like make a story about them in your head without Absolutely. knowing anything about them. Yeah, I agree. So I agree. Let, let's, let's go back a little bit. So when you, when you were in grade one, and you were experiencing this anxiety and then you started uh, experiencing OCD when you were that young, did you know what it was or did you just feel and like you were different? I had no idea what was going on. Like mm -hmm. uh, the anxiety gave me like a, almost felt like a knife was in my stomach. I remember yeah. that clearly when I was six, the OCD, it was one incident where I was at my sister's birthday and someone said to me, for some reason it was stupid of me. There was a bag of chips on the floor and I ate a chip out of the bag and I heard one person in the background said, oh, my God, you're going to get AIDS now. As silly as that <laughs> sounds, there's yeah. no physical contact. And it was around the time Michael um, Magic Johnson came out that he had AIDS. Mm. For some reason, something switched and it just just attacked my soul. Like, I, I can't explain it any better than that. And it was for two years where, again, I was lucky that I wouldn't say I was pretty popular in my school thank god because if i wasn't i would have got bullied for the way i kept my hands up i had to wash all the time i was allowed to go to the bathroom my teacher understood oh there he goes again he has to go wash his hands but it could have been really bad if say i was just a loner and i was by myself i could have got turned on very easily but i didn't care when you when you have bad ocd it, it, it's it's the drug is to wash yourself clean yourself organize stuff and it, it, again, it was, it was terrible at that age, especially at 13 years old. Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. That's where it started. Yeah. It, and then you hear people now who kind of, this is kind of my, like, it bugs me a little. And I, I had someone come on a little earlier in the year talking about this, but when you not romanticize the words, but when you kind of throw around terms too loosely, like with OCD, it's like you want. Uh, it's like a minor thing where you're like, Oh, I like the dishes cleaned. I'm just OCD about it. Like saying yeah. things lightly like that when you don't understand how uh, draining it actually is. It, 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 I, I explain it to people. OCD is almost like going to the gym and it's doing cardio because it is draining. Mm -hmm. Like it got, when I had it 13 and then thank God, well, thank God, well, I start doing drugs. I don't want to thank God for that, but it, it stopped it. Like mm -hmm. I basically self-medicated myself. So for 14 years, it was gone. But when it came back at 28 years old and it felt like I was 13 all over again, it came back with a vengeance and it literally consumed my life. Like it was, 
I had phobias, I had depression, I had anxiety. And then again, I'm going a little bit too uh, detailed, but like, I also needed major neck surgery that professionals were missing. So I had physical pain. So I was thrown five things my way that I had to deal with without getting any answers. But one of the phobias I had, it's, it's funny because when you have OCD and I, I studied it a lot, again, I'm not a professor about it. I'm not trying to tell people I know everything, but you develop phobias as you go along when you have bad anxiety and depression. And for one stupid reason, all of a sudden, anything red was blood to me. So I was throwing out shoes and now I'm 28 years old, going to a girl's house, no shoes on. I had no laces on my shoes. I didn't want none of my laces to touch the floor. And then they were like contaminated. I couldn't touch them. So I laugh about it now, but like mm -hmm. those four years, like my back of my trunk looked like an Aldo shoe store. Just, I didn't have any shoes in the, in the boxes. Cause I threw everything out. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it was a rough time for sure, man. It, that yeah if um was there like a like a specific moment after those four years of you know suppressing your stuff with weed was there a moment where you kind of remember was there a moment that you kind of remember sorry where it kind of just broke out i think i needed thank god this happened to me again i needed a big scare it was one night i was 28 years old smoking a joint which i always and i had a big panic attack mm -hmm. and that was April 16, 2009. And I haven't done drugs since, but I was grateful for that. But after that, that's when the four years started where I had the problems, but then I didn't have my, my vice to take care of all this problems. Cause I was afraid of drugs. So then I was on my own. Then I went to go see multiple therapists and I, I went through 24 professionals to finally figure out what was the problem. And I got my life back, but it was, it was a long four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. When, yeah, when you, sorry, go for it. No, I was saying it. sometimes people, they turn to drugs when they're suffering like that. And uh, again, I'm not a doctor, but I, I think drugs is the last thing you need. I really like cognitive behavioral therapy. I think that helps me a lot. Again, I'm not telling people you need to go here. You need to, it works for me. Again, mm -hmm. like I wouldn't tell someone don't take medication, like someone who's suffering might need it. I'm not sure. I'm not that person. Right. But I really think that for me, that cognitive behavioral therapy got rid of OCD never leaves somebody once you have it. But if you could take it down from 85% to 27%, I'm just throwing these weird numbers that, that that's a, that's a, it's a good start. It's like going from a full-on sprint to like a light cardio jog. Yeah, like, like a light ballet jog, you know, and they mm -hmm. go get your car for you, a nice little jog, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I still have it. And I tell people, like, anxiety is with all of us. Like, I remember I was like, well, I don't want it. We, we're all going to get it, whether you lose your job, whether a relationship doesn't work out. You're always going to have that sense of something coming on, but, like, you, you have to learn how to cope with it. And that's what I found after four years, and I finally – meshed with a therapist and i tell this to everyone too like a therapist is like a mechanic like you could go through seven mechanics before you find someone that actually really is trustworthy and works on your car the right way and that's how i feel about therapists like i went through seven before i found someone i'm like okay we click i trust you and let's do this you know it's crazy i went through seven as well like the, my seventh therapist was the one where i was like i, I like you Yes, you're work. the you're the chosen one, and you're and I I'm I'm all in. Like, what do yeah. I got to do? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Was um when you were looking at all these therapists, because for me, uh, the thing that kind of turned me off from each of the first six, well, the first one was a horrible experience, and I talk oh, about it at nauseum. Yeah, it's always terrible. Yeah. Um, but the other the other five before the one I found, it would it, it the reason I didn't want to go to them anymore was they either were like they they liked hearing themselves too much. They liked hearing the sound of yeah, their voice yeah. and they were like talking slow and passionate. And I was like, man, I, I want to die. Like, I don't know why you're doing this. Or they it, were like, what's that? It, it's almost painful. It, it, oh. it hurts more than the reason why you're going in for. Exactly. And the other thing was like, every time I went in, every, like the first six times, each one of them said, all right, what are you going through? I was like, do you not have me on file, man? Like, I have to retell this story again? All the time. It's almost like they're just trying to complete the hour. And again, not all therapists are like this. I'm not attacking no. anybody. I had therapists tell me, you're fucked up. Excuse my language. They would tell yeah. me that I need to go away for two years. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I had other therapists that just would just do things that I, I I would sit there and I'd be defeated because it's costing you money at the same time, right? And mm -hmm. it's money I didn't have back then. And it's very, you're defeated when you, you know it's not working. Like the one therapist I found, it was a cognitive behavioral therapist. His name was Dr. Neil Rector. He was amazing. And again, he didn't know that I needed major neck surgery, but he told me in my face, the first time I met him, he's like, listen, I'm going to do eight sessions with you and that's it. And I was like, wow, this that's I've never heard this before, like a different approach. Right. He didn't want to keep me there for two years or three years because at the end, some they make money when you're there for a long time. And I get it. That's their professional. They train hard to be that. But he was like at the end of my eight sessions and he helped me so much with my OCD and he put me in situations and I had to do homework. It became a course. And uh, the subject was myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved him putting me in situations like, like it was little things. Like if there was a red string on the floor on my shirt, it was blood. Even though I know that's a red string, that was blood. He would bring me around the building. Like he took me outside of his office and being like, what bothers you? Show me and let's talk it out. And mm -hmm. I found that helped me a lot. And when we were, we completed the eight sessions, he's like, listen, Joey, I think you're an amazing person. I think your anxiety is not the problem. I think something physically is wrong with you. And at that time, I didn't know I needed major neck surgery. But when he said it to me, it brought me on my journey to find out, okay, something's wrong with me physically because I believed in him. He helped me. I got better. But why am I feeling awful still on the inside? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the important thing, like if, if a listener is listening, I think the important thing when you're looking at therapy or you're looking at all these different techniques, you, you got to approach it the same way you approach anything. There's always going to be some bad apples. hundred percent. It's like, a, like, it's like choosing friends. You, you, after a couple of times hanging out with them, you're going to know if you want to stay around them or not. So mm -hmm. I feel the same way at therapists. If you don't click with somebody, there's nothing wrong with starting all over with someone else. Yeah. It's definitely like, it's definitely hard, man. Like the first six times, you know, I, I like the thoughts were coming in, like, am I just not going to click with anyone? Like, you know, I've, yeah, I've heard people say, yeah, like I, I heard people say therapy works, therapy's great. And here I am the sixth time around. I'm like, nothing has helped me. No, I, I've been there. 
I've been there six times. You're defeated and, and you're spending money. So, and again, my dad was, at, he, he means, well, he, he has my back, but he's, you're spending all this money. Like, what are you doing? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm spending thousands, like, and I'm not working because I, I can't stay in. I went from socializing, going to nightclubs, partying, all of a sudden I'm confined to my parents' basement for four years. And it was, it was a reality check that people are like, Oh, did you hear Joey? I think he went crazy. And it, I wasn't crazy. Something was going on in my body, my mind that I had to overcome. So yeah, going back to your point, you go to three, four therapists, you start thinking maybe I am crazy. Like if they can't help me, they're professionals. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if, if you're a listener and you hear that, it's not you, you just it's haven't not, found the right one. No. You just haven't found the right one. And that's why my book is called push forward. I'm not trying to plug my book out, but that word to me, you have to push forward. You have one life, your life's important. So whoever's listening, your life is very important. You can't give up and you just got to, it's like a puzzle. If it doesn't fit, get, look for another piece that fits. Yeah. Pretty, pretty plain and simple as that. Exactly. So um, what, what did you need neck surgery for? Well, basically, so I, up to 2009, I start feeling off and, and it, basically I needed uh, a C1 fusion. So I had, my vertebrae was hanging by a thread. Mm. my 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 skull for four years so they did an mri it showed that i needed major surgery but two neurologists missed it and again i'm not here to attack these two neurologists that's not why i'm telling my story but for four years i was hanging by a thread so my vertebrae was hanging from my skull and it showed in my mri but they missed it so not only did i have to battle with anxiety depression ocd and phobia i had physical pain from not getting the surgery Mm -hmm. it makes feel like almost like you can't see and you're off balance but it's it keeps your body centered your vertebrae connects to your skull if that's hanging you're you're not all there so I had that on top of everything else so when I found out that I needed surgery I was like thank god I was scared but I'm like wow I I really thought maybe this is what I'm supposed to be and I am going crazy so found a, a new family doctor because my old family doctor like I don't blame him but he was tired of seeing me walking in three four times a week something's wrong I feel off why am I dizzy and you know he prescribed me Prozac and again I'm not telling people take Prozac or don't it didn't mesh well with me and I needed to find answers on my own found a neurosurgeon at St. Michael's Dr. Howard Ginsburg he saved my life and I kept the, I actually have the MRI CD here in my uh, cupboard. I keep it with me. It was done in November 13, 2009. It showed on that CD that I needed major neck surgery. Mm-hmm. And I kept it on me for four years before I met the neurosurgeon. And he's like, when I sat down, he's like, well, okay, well, we're going to have to do an MRI. And I said, well, I got the CD right here. Do you want to look at it? He's like, wow, you kept this on you for four years. I'm like, yeah, I put it inside his computer and I remember him looking at it and just swearing under his breath because like, he saw something here, went mm. to do a little x-ray, came back. And he's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you've been hanging. Your vertebrae has been hanging by a thread. I don't know how you haven't died. We need major neck surgery, but I got to be honest with you. You have a 50% chance of dying or getting paralyzed during the surgery because when you, your vertebrae is hanging, that, you make one wrong move. 
the person doesn't stand the chance plus all the nerves that go around your vertebrae like i learned all i sound like i'm on uh your heart on my doctor show your dr oz but i'm not i just i learned so much about it and uh i took that chance because i couldn't live going forward and i tried to take my life twice because it was i had too much going against me i had physical ocd depression anxiety and I'm thinking I'm 28 and then people would see me. Wow. You don't drink, you don't smoke. You must feel great. And I'm like, no, I, I've, I've never felt worse. Mm-hmm. So the surgery was a big part of me getting back on track for sure. But I still had to deal with my other issues. And I really felt cognitive behavioral therapy. I loved it. Like, and I really, I, whenever someone talks to me about it, I, I give them advice and I tell them who to go to. And again, it's up to them to go yeah. like or what works for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you were when you were doing all of this, like cognitive behavioral therapy and what, trying things that worked, when did you start to notice that change in your mental? I think, see, again, this was before I needed surgery, but like when he was putting me through homework and what bothered me, after four sessions of putting me on the spot, like making me touch something that's red on a piece of paper and then talking me through it, I, I, I noticed a, a good change about four or five sessions in. Again, when you trust the therapist and you're all in, you're going to see results. And if the therapist is really good at what they do, after five, six sessions, again, I'm not saying five, six sessions going to cure everybody, but for me, I saw a change after five or six sessions where I start looking at, wow, that's pretty silly that a red string is making me throw out my shirt, my clothes, mm-hmm. my shoes. And I really sat back and it was like, this is not normal. And, you know, and before I was like, no, I got to clean, clean, clean. I didn't care how I looked, Yeah, you know? So I was running out of shoes, basically like running out of running shoes. I would go somewhere step on something that looked like blood, take off my shoes in a parking lot and drive home with no shoes on. Mm. It was getting, and as silly as that sounds now, back then it was everything to me. Right. Yeah. It it seems a lot less intense when you look back at it. Oh yeah. I laugh about it now. It's to me, it's funny now. It wasn't funny when I was going through it for sure. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, um, that's always a conversation, uh, a topic of conversation, not just on this show, but like when I'm out, you know, talking to people, um, because, you know, especially with the society we're in right now, everyone wants a quick fix. And I remember, yeah, like, yeah, like when I, when I went to the seventh therapist, uh, that, that second session I went in, she was like, okay, what do you want from me? And I was like, I don't care if it's a happy pill. I don't care if it's magic. I want you to fix me. She's like, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Like you want that, but it's not going to be that simple. So, you know, it, it's important to remember that. And it's important to remember that, you know, after a couple months, like you might notice some small changes. You just got to keep at it. It's like if you have a stomach, like, you know, I've put on a couple pounds since the pandemic we all started. Have. <laughs> we all have, right? And, Uber you know, eats devil for sure. oh, Uber Eats, easy access. It's too easy. But like, you know, if you want that, that six pack, and I've, I've made this analogy before, like when I earlier, like when I started, you have to train, you have to do like core work every single day. You have to stay consistent. And it's the same with your mind. Your brain is still a muscle, man. Absolutely. And I, you hit the, you, you definitely are talking facts and 
I tell people, if you're, you're willing to work on your body, you should work on your mind because that muscle is just as important as the rest of your body. Right. So, and, uh, seeing that right person, man, it doesn't feel good once you're like, wow, this, this is the person I'm supposed to be talking to. And I could imagine how you felt after six people. Cause I went through it too. It's, it's you just defeat it. And you're like, Oh, you're getting paid to do this. Help me. And I, I remember thinking, I wish I broke my back because at least it's physical pain and then it would go away. But the, and it was like, I just don't like the way I feel. And I hate it. I don't know if you were the same way, but I hate it telling my story to people because mm-hmm. it's almost like, wow, you're still feeling like this, you know, but God bless the ones that were listening all the time because I wouldn't be here. Yep. Yep. I feel that completely. It Another thing that kind of pushed me back was like the idea that, oh, you have everything going for you. Oh, I heard that many times, or I, I don't know if you had this. I had friends I grew up with for 30 years saying, well, me and the guys feel you should be all right by now. It's been six months. And I learned after four years, I took a course at Landmark where you have to forgive the people that don't know what you're really going through. Mm-hmm. And I kept that anger inside me for four years. Like, How could you just brush me off? I'm struggling here. But I forgive them. And whether I stayed friends with them or not, it's just releasing that forgiveness because they're not inside you. They don't know what's going through your mind. You can't expect them to be compassionate for all four years or how long you are suffering. It's uh, it's very important to let go of people that don't understand what you're going through and not let go of them, but let go of that feeling of feeling worse than you already feel. And I really preach that. Like you got to just work on yourself and, when it comes time, you have that talk with them. And if they don't understand, then they're not, they shouldn't be in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't need that added weight. You know, an added weight is terrible. It is just, you know, you're drowning and someone throws you a big stone. Hold on to <laughs> yeah. that. You know, like, it's like, give me the rope as well. Like it's, it's too much. Yeah, exactly. So when, when you, um, when was like the first time you opened up about this stuff to your family and friends? Well, see, with me, when I had that big panic attack, I was living on my own, single, living the life downtown. And I had that and I drove home at 2.30 in the morning. So my mom and dad knew right away what the hell happened to this guy. So there was not a coming out moment. I'm struggling. My story's different. I came in like flying. I was like, something's wrong. I don't know. So I kind of shocked them with it. It wasn't like a gradual thing. It was like I came in hot. And mm. my dad was like, what drugs did you, that he thought I was on <laughs> heroin. He didn't understand. What did you take? But it, it's almost, for me, it's different. It was a blessing that the drugs scared me at the point where I didn't want to do them anymore. Cause else I'd be a real mess right now. And at that point I was telling anyone who wanted to listen, what was wrong with me? Cause I couldn't figure out why am I feeling like this? I don't feel right. I'm dizzy. And I was telling everybody and people felt compassionate about it for a little bit. But then after, you know, some people are like, Hey, Joey, I don't want to hear about this anymore. You know, you're bringing me down and it it sucks because I went from partying, going away on vacation to being stuck in my parents' basement. I'm like, I'm 30 years old. What is, what happened? And you, you, you you get in a dark place where you don't think you're going to see the light anymore. And it's not a good place to be yeah, that 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 realization where you're like, um, 
like for me it was when i first opened up about stuff or like i first had my uh you know like i lashed out the first time well, i think that's I yeah i think i think i think i just kind of realized like oh that that image of myself i put out there that mask i put out it's not there anymore it's gone yeah yeah and it's uh, it's it humbles you that's the word i uh, uh those four years humbled the crap out of me so mm. i always said if i ever got better i'm never gonna let myself feel like that again or let another person make me feel like i take things in stride now and I'm, I'm actually grateful that it happened to me i don't let anything bother me okay the pandemic it could bother anybody right now because we're all going through it but like besides the pandemic it's you could say some joy i don't like you you make me sick i'd be like that's fine it's like, i'm gonna go have a chocolate chip cookie and i'll forget about it like i don't care like and I'm grateful for that because I tell people and I have parents that reach out to me and they saw that I did the book and my daughter's 13, they're suffering with their friends. And I let them all know, work on yourself. And if they're your real friends, they'll be there. If they're not, move on. You, yeah. you have your life ahead of you. You can't let an individual make you feel worse because like you said, added weight, added pressure, you do not need that when mm -hmm. you're going through your own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, especially for kids, man, to not let someone determine things. Kids right now, especially like not being in school. Like, I don't mean to talk about it, but I'm going to uh, I'm going for a drive in about a half an hour. A parent uh, reached out to me, a father said uh, he read my book. I said, thank you so much. I thought he was just talking about the book. He's like, I have a, a son that tried to hurt himself. And I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, I'm is there anything I could do to help? I'll come there. So I'm going there in about half an hour to pick him up and just have a talk with him. But he's getting bullied from people in his class making TikTok terrible videos. And I don't even want to explain the videos to you. Yeah. And the response to him was, we only stop doing these videos when you kill yourself. And this is when the world to me needs, like, if you're a parent and you're listening always check up on your kids make sure your kid is not that person it's awful it's wrong he, we're already struggling with this pandemic and kids i i pray for them because what i was suffering at 12 with ocd you throw a pandemic on top of that when i was 13 i might not be here there's no mm -hmm. way i can only imagine wearing a mask in class going to school on a computer like it my heart breaks for these kids like what they have to be going through right now and the mental health crisis that's the next next pandemic is the mental health pandemic and i hate saying that but it's coming and it's going to come in full force and that's why it's very important people like yourself are doing podcasts like this i have my book out there i i want to try and i know you're doing the same just to help as many people you're not alone we're here let's talk about it and that's it yeah yeah exactly man my heart goes out to kids like that because like you said like when i was a kid you know I, i'm still fairly young so but my my introduction to technology was eased you know like facebook and all these social media platforms Holy just yeah. yeah they just started when i was going into high school so right. like but but if i was in elementary school and uh, like tiktok was a thing instagram yeah. i like i'd be a mess because i was already comparing myself to people on the playground let alone going home and you make it now as a child you're, you become a meme you become oh. a video and they save it and they share it and just imagine going home at that age being like oh my god i they made a fool of me and 
the bullying, like I can't stand bullying. Like, and I, I'm, I, I'm going today. I don't even know these kids, but I'm going today just to let them know I'm there. I'm not trying to be a police officer. I just, the fact that I know he wants to hurt himself, it breaks my heart and I'm going there just, uh, I have to do it. And yeah. I, I want to see a child go through that. Like it's the most evil thing someone could do is bully a child or bully somebody. I, I just don't approve of that. And the parents should be on top of everything. And like, I know now if my child had a phone, I'm going to monitor it. Like till they're 16, 17, like I didn't have a phone growing up. My dad was not going to pay for a phone, but like, like you said, you were eased into it. So was I Facebook 2007. Well, what's this? And uh, it, it's scary. What's what these poor, poor kids have to go through right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think one silver lining is like, you, you talk about like the book you made, you talk about the podcast I have, it's like, you know, there's thousands of them out there and these kids growing up now, they have the access to read these things or listen to these things and kind of, you know, get more information than what we had growing up in terms of mental health. So I'm hoping that, you know, that's used to their advantage. The, the fact that they have more resources to yeah, access. Not used to them, yeah. You know, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's uh technology is great, but sometimes it's not so great. Like it could really, uh, really go against you as much as it could help you that's for sure yeah yeah no i i completely agree man um on on that note when you were when you were a kid and you were going through all these things and you didn't really know what they were what would be like i guess one thing what what would be one thing that if you were able to teleport back and talk to younger you what would you want to hear like what, what do you think would be the most effective thing to say I think I would comfort myself and, and let, 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 let a young seven year old or 13 year old know this is not your fault that you're going through this. Cause I really blame myself yep. that search for something that works for you and you're going to get through this and uh, you, you have to keep looking for answers. And then it's easy to say now, but if I heard that at 13 and seven, instead of other things, I think I would have felt a lot better for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, uh, someone, someone was interviewing me for their show, uh, yesterday. And, uh, I said the exact same thing, the, it's not your fault. You got to remind yourself because when, because when you're a kid, um, like for me anyway, when I was a kid, you know, nothing, most things that bother you or most things that are affecting you, they're not in your control. Like you can't control them. So your brain is trying to find a way to keep you in the driver's seat. Yeah. So it was easy to just go, oh, well, you know, this is going on because I suck and I'm not worth it. Yeah. Or this exactly. This is going on because I'm an idiot or this is happening to me because I'm a bad person. At that age, especially at a young age, you just don't know what's going on. So I would go back and I would hug myself and be like, don't worry, buddy. This is uh, keep fighting and we're going to figure this out. You need, especially when you're a kid, you need like assurance that something is going to get better. And even if you believe it or not, it's good to hear. Like you need to hear. It. And uh, I really believe that. Like I would go back. It's a great question. What would I say to my myself 30 years ago? I'd be like, let's take it one day at a time. But let's 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 look for the right steps. Yeah, exactly. Those uh, those cliches out there about this mental health stuff, like the, they're there for a reason. Like, you know, you hear them and you you hear them, you roll your eyes. You're like, whatever. Oof. But 
you know, eventually you start to hear them enough and then maybe it might convince you that, you know, you are worth it. hundred percent. Again, I go back to my book, like it is not a sexy story. So people know me now, they see me, I'm out, I'm not going to lie. I'm 40 years old. I party, I do whatever. Okay. Obviously now we can't do that, but like they read this book and they're blown away. They're like, that was you. I'm like, yeah, that was, and it makes me look awful, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's very satisfying where I, the book from chapter one to chapter 19, I'm like, when you read this, it's not what I am today, but I'm not ashamed of what I went through. And, and again, I made this to help people to give them some hope and just let them know that my story, I hopefully it helps you, but it guides you in the right direction of you getting better and what works for you. Yeah, no. And I think like, you know, people in your situation, like you said, you're, you're outgoing, you go to parties, you do these things. Yeah. It's important for people to hear that people like yourself or even like, you know, me out like with the swim team, with whatever people who seem to have it going for them, they still go through stuff. Absolutely. Everybody goes through stuff. It's how you deal with it when it, and you could be, I remember thinking when I was really suffering, you could give me $5 million and I wouldn't give a crap that you gave it to me because I'm suffering. So money means nothing. And I, sometimes I see people always celebrity always going through, Oh, what's he have to worry about? He's rich. It doesn't matter how much money or no money. Like if you're suffering, you're suffering. And, uh, you need to get help. So it's, it's so true. You could, the appearance means nothing. It's how you feel on the inside. Like I, again, I have people tell me, you look like your life's amazing. And I can't believe you went through something like that. Well, it happened. (laughs) And that's where I was mentally for those four years. And again, I put that story out just to help anybody I can. Cause I know I would have loved to have read a story when I was suffering because I find a lot of things with anxiety and depression. They're like, tips but i i i'm more i relate more when i hear somebody's story instead of like breathe in breathe out i'm not saying don't do that again i'm not trying to be a doctor but like i remember breathing in doing exercise like this ain't working i still feel like crap like something's all right so i find hearing someone's story and it's so important that we end the stigma and people talk about it like me and you are doing right now it helps so much. You could be saving lives. Every podcast you do could save a life. And that's the way you should go into each one you do. And I know that's why you do this to help others. And it's amazing that you're doing that. And I, again, I did the book just, if it helps one person, I'm happy. Yep. I, I completely agree, man. Um, so let's talk about that book for a second. When, like, how did it come about? Like, when did you finally decide I'm going to put my life on paper? It was, it's funny you asked me that. It took me 10 years to actually put it on. I couldn't write it. It made me sick. Even though I was better, it was a lot mm. better. Reliving it bothered me. So I would write it. I would write it like, I don't know. I can't screw this. So I met this kid. He was a film guy. I, I do mortgages during the day. And he filmed a video I did with a financial advisor, whatever. We became friends. Like, Oh, I wish I had your life. You live downtown. You have all the great. It must be amazing. I said, well, and I told him my four-year story. He's like, wow, this is a kid, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. You should really put that in, a, in an audio story or write that down. So what he told me to do is write down point form of what I went through. We sat down and in one hour, I put together an audio story called Push Forward on YouTube. 
just put it out there. I let people know this is my story. Didn't think anything of it. Had like 3,000 views, nothing crazy. Didn't think anything of it. I meet this producer, a screenwriter at uh, a patio downtown at Laval. It's a rooftop patio here in Toronto. And uh, we became friends. He's like, what do you do? I said, well, I work at a nightclub at night and I, I do mortgages. Or, yeah, what do you do? Uh, I've done movies like the disaster artist and focus with Will Smith. I'm like, wow, we became friends. I let him listen to my audio story. I just said, listen, tell me what you think. If you know any direction I should go. Then he came back a week later to my surprise. He's like, that's one of the most rawest story I've ever heard in my life. I want to make a book and a movie about it. And again, you hear this, you're like, yeah, sure. And I'm going <laughs> to go to space with Neil Armstrong in about 14 minutes. Thank you so much for believing in it. But like, yeah, he introduced me to an author, Ian Thornton, who was amazing. And during the pandemic, we would call each other and work on a chapter a week. And lo and behold, I had a published book by Archway Publishing that came out literally a month ago. And now we're working on a film to go for the book. And that works pretty much side by side with the book. And it's, uh, I, I still feel surreal that this is happening. And that my my story is out there, and I, I could actually hold it and touch it, and it, it's it's very satisfying to me that it, it's it's at this point. That's incredible, man. I, I was actually just going to ask, what's it like to actually hold your story in your hand? You know what? I, I cried, and I don't mean that like a selfish way. Like when I found that I was going to get published by Archway, it was a, like my family was so supportive. When I finally got the first book, and I have it right here, I I have tons of them lying around the house, nice. right? But, just holding it in my hand, it's like, wow, this is going to be around even when I'm gone. And it's uh, it's amazing feeling. I can't explain it in words. I never even thought of it that way. That's a beautiful way to put it. It's going to be yeah. here when I'm gone. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah and that's uh, this is my why. This is, you know, I was uh, a very good athlete. I had scholarships and so I. I was here to tell this story. I, I know that now. And even when you reached out to me, do you want to be on? The, yeah. Like, let's go. Like, whatever. Like, I don't know you. You don't know me. But I feel now I feel like I know you. But like, I could easily say, you know, I don't feel comfortable. I'm like, no, I, I put this story out for a reason. I'll talk to anybody. Put them in front of me. You know, I'm yeah. going to a drive to help those kids. He's I don't want them suffering. Like, that's my, I want that to be my new obsession. Like, washing my hands, that's gone. But now I want to help people. Yeah, no, that's beautiful, man. Um, well, looking back on that, like, you know, seeing where you are now, seeing the book in your hands, making that movie, which, by the way, if you need a lead actor, I'm right here. Uh, <laughs> you could be my stunt double, if anything, whenever I fall. Let's sure. do it. I'll 100%. fall down. Why not? If I'm in a movie? Yeah, sure. Question for your shoulders, whatever you need. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, but like looking back now, like, you, uh, like at what you've been through your story, you know, all the low points, you know, and wanting to end your life doing all of this. Is there looking back now, anything that you would change with your journey? What? No, no, yeah. wouldn't. no. Uh, the one thing I would change is not to get down when things aren't going in the right direction. Cause that's the last thing is to be hard on yourself when you're already suffering. That's the one thing. Also, I appreciate, and it's funny I could say this now because I'm out of it, and there is an end goal, and I want people to know that with the right work, and like you said, you got to train. It's, it's, you want to be a uh, Mr. Olympia, you got to go to the gym. 
you want your mind to be better, you got to work on your mind. And so there's no, to answer your question, no, I wouldn't change anything for the world. It made me a much better person, I'm more humble, I'm more relaxed. I'm, uh, I'm glad it happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Well, Joey, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate thank it. You, appreciate it, buddy. We're friends now. So anything you need in the future, you let me know. And hopefully we can meet in person once this uh, 14th wave goes away. <laughs> yeah. Finger, you know I mean? fingers crossed before before we let you go let it let us know where you can get the book where people can find you where where you at oh yeah my instagram is joey t live uh and my book can be found on amazon ebook uh barnes and nobles archwaypublishing.com you just type and push forward the book comes up and it's just uh pretty much a story about the struggles i went through I love it, man. I'll put all those links down below. And to all my viewers, I will see you guys next time.